Hey everybody, it's Hit Rewind, and I'm Michael, that's Jacob on the other side, and what are we doing this episode? We are launching the 1987 season of movies. We picked six from this year to discuss. Jacob, what is the very first one? The very first one I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, happens to be, for me, now a Richard Pryor classic. I couldn't help but laugh my ass off so much. I mean, again, all around wonderful supporting cast. Uh, Critical Condition, he's he's a con man... Well, not necessarily a con man. He's basically conning his way out of going to jail and trying to prove himself insane. And, of course, it's failing. Yeah, it now, is. Now, during a big blackout... Go ahead. Sorry, I took a sip. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I won't interrupt. I thought you were taking a pause. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Continue. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll do... All right, sorry about that. What was happening was... Um... Now, what's happening is that he... uh, since there's a huge, like, uh, storm coming through... Uh... The whole hostel's been like closed off, and this is Richard Pryor kind of sees it at, sees this as his way of escaping. However, he gets locked up as well, so he proposes as a doctor, and he comes up with the most ridiculous advice, and actually ends up helping some people out in a different way. Yeah, like he actually does good for the people. Yeah, I and thought this was again uh... just awesome. Yeah. No, I'm sorry, I'm just laughing because I was thinking of one scene in particular where. Uh, He's about to get it on with this one girl, you know, and then all of a sudden she mentions she has the clap, and he's like, I'll be right back. And then he walks away. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the movie was poorly received by critics. It did uh, not very well. And it was, a lot of people said that was the end for him. He did this moving, and, uh, you know, and then his career just started to fail. And I think the problem with the movie is only in tone. It's a movie that. Michael Apted, who's mostly known for doing uh, serious films, uh, did. And I feel like there was a script that he signed on to, and then they kind of Richard Priored it up because that's what people expected. But I think he did a really good job handling the drama and the comedy. It's just sometimes there's a tonal shift that people probably weren't ready for. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. It's that one scene where they hook up the generator and uh, everything in the little lab in the laboratory with all the uh, experimental stuff oh, kind of exploding and popping up all over the place <laughs> oh man yeah and then there's the serious aspect like there's actually like uh, a, a serious criminal there who's trying to escape but ends up getting you know very malicious yeah well you're also talking about the fact that it's a real medical facility it's not like it's a psychiatric place these people are really sick and could die and with the storm you know there's no power that's feeding through properly so there's no air conditioning i think his idea of the helicopter is fucking insane that they easily could have died <laughs> um that, that, <laughs> exactly that was a horrifying idea i didn't know how they pulled that stunt off honestly seriously i know i'm like oh my gosh how many takes did this did they have to go through for this yeah or flooding the place <laughs> it was really dangerous it was really ambitious and it's just too bad that it didn't work out it didn't work out for richard Pryor. No, sadly not. I thought like a lot of his jokes were on time. Oh gosh, especially when he's trying to uh, pretend to be crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of con artist stuff uh, that yeah, you know overall, you kind of know for his character that he does. So it does play to his strengths, but it also kind of changes it up. Right. No, especially because like uh, as far as his character goes, like you know he was in there, he was part of the bus, and he ended up getting you know arrested as part of it because he was accepting money from a gang uh, from a gangster. Ugh. But yeah, oh yeah, who else was... Um, well, we have Rachel Tocotin, who uh, I think is the first time I'd ever seen her, who I'm really surprised never ended up like a major star, because with that and uh, Total Recall, she was 
um, a really good actress and uh, just did notable work that just didn't go anywhere for her. I know that was a, that's a shame too. I wanted to, she should have been in more projects. She was in a the TV series Lost. She played um, the character Ana Lucia's mom, who was played by Michelle Rodriguez. Oh, okay. I didn't I didn't remember that. So she, yeah, she was in a few episodes, but damn, yeah. Again, it's a shame she didn't really get much more notoriety. Uh, we have uh, Ruben Blades. That was uh, Blades or something. Yes. I'm sorry. No, I was saying Ruben Blades or Blades or whatever his name is. You know, this is like uh, the first time I think I'd ever seen him. He was a character actor for a little while. Right. Oh, you know who else was in this? Wesley Snipes. He was one of the. uh, He was uh, one of the EMTs. Yeah, he's barely in it. I forgot about that. Yeah, I was like, huh. Well, I mean, Wildcats was when he was just starting up. Right, and then he did that other movie. So, yeah, I guess just take take the exposure where you can. Yeah, and he got to be around Richard Pryor. I'm pretty sure you grew up listening to him. Yeah. <laughs> but then there was, uh, oh, gosh, who else was it? Oh, yeah, was it Tex Cobb, I believe his name? Oh, was man, that like dude was the, everywhere uh, in the 80s, wasn't he? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> in fact, he's going to be in the next movie we're going to mention. Uh Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. The last of the watchable... Well, I like 6 a little bit, but uh, this is the end of the Gutenberg run of Police Academy. And, you know, you lose Bobcat Goldthwait. The, the, the cast is cut down significantly after this one. And it's kind of like the big last hurrah. I think it's ridiculous that they allowed the citizens just to have guns and work sort of as a police force. That's probably not how that should work. <laughs> Right. No, no, yeah. The thing is, they didn't have guns. They were just, like, kind of uh, observing and reporting. Oh, no, it was the old lady. That's right. She had that really big gun that she was shooting. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. uh, Oh, yeah, from the retirement home. Oh, dude, what's his name? Uh, Why am I forgetting the character's name? The militaristic guy. Oh, you mean Tackleberry? Big old uh, Magnum. Tackleberry, yeah. Tackleberry was really impressed. It's like, oh, my God, this is his second moth, pretty much. (laughs) Oh, that one scene, remember that? uh, His... Uh, his what his in-laws house when uh his wife's dad wanted to be part of the citizens on patrol program and then the brother and the dad just start fighting <laughs> yeah like play fighting of course um, you know well you know what's interesting is everybody talks about how like the marvel universe and you know fast and furious they always have this way of bringing back characters throughout all the movies police academy was there first you have guys hopping in and out of this franchise that, you know, oh, he had a small part in part two, and he comes back in part four, and stuff like that. They really would loop these characters in and out of the franchise. Hmm. Is that what happened with Bobcat's uh, character? Because I don't remember him in part three. He is in two, three, and four. Oh, okay, so he is in three. I, yeah. no, it's been so long since I've seen three. But my, I honestly really enjoyed Bobcat's scenes in this movie. It's like he's, like, he's still a punk. He's not changing that part about himself. Like, that's a civilian attire. But when, you know, when he becomes a cop, he becomes a cop, but... <laughs> but he I falls love how, in love. Like, uh, yes, how he was. Uh, there was definitely a central part to his like this plot. He was a central character. Yeah, he was getting certain. pretty he hot at that time. They probably had to give him something to sign on for part four. Oh, absolutely, and, and it shows with his character because he was like uh, one of the top trainers of the Citizens on Patrol. <laughs> Just especially during that one scene where uh, what's his name? One of the uh, little skater kids rides the little bike into the pool and oh, he's like, right. yelling at him to get out of the pool. <laughs> oh, let's not forget, we have the new additions uh, and the debut of David Spade. That's right, yes. Smart Him even then. And... <laughs> yes. Oh, God, I don't think that ever went away. Uh, what I did like about was uh, that moment 
I think with all the skater people, wasn't Tony Hawk like one of the uh, stunt skaters? Yeah, I believe that, that he was actually David went... Spade's gun. No, that could be right because David Spade's like a foot shorter than Tony. But yeah, I do know that him and the rest of like the Paul Peralta team from the 80s was in that scene. Right. Yeah, definitely. I know. And it was very well put together. It's like, you know, it was almost believable. They shot that so well. And I, for, I keep forgetting what's his name. Uh, oh, gosh. Not the commandant, but the one who always just tells everybody, move it, move oh, it. Oh, uh... Harris? Yes, thank you. I was thinking it was Lassar, but that's their boss. Yeah, Harris. And that guy that's with him all the time, I can't remember his name, Proctor. Um, those two weaving in and out of this franchise kill me. I, fucking Proctor is so adorably stupid. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's hard not to... It's hard to dislike him. Honestly. You know what's funny? Is we discussed this with the first movie, but every time they visit the gay bar, they never go for the obvious jokes, which is what they would do in the 80s. But they're like tough and they're cool and they're, you know, and, and they're the good guys, whereas Harris and the other ones are the assholes. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> That's right. They set them up at the gay bar and then they end up dancing with them and Proctor's just like, going along with it. <laughs> you know, when this uh, the trailer for this movie came out, I literally ran out of my room into my parents' room screaming with excitement. They were scared and worried because they didn't know what was going on. And for some reason, <laughs> I couldn't get the words out, Police Academy 4. And they were like, what is wrong with you? Don't come screaming <laughs> about a movie like that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Well, I mean, well, it's been such a great franchise. I mean, you can't blame yourself. And, I, you know, as a kid, I even had, like, the little action figures based off the cartoon. <laughs> so, you know, it was, again, it was overall really fun to watch. Yeah, we had Sharon Stone, I definitely too. definitely could watch it again. Huh? We had Sharon Stone as the Steve Gutenberg's love interest. Oh, my gosh, you're right. I remember that. Yeah, she was the reporter. And he was just bringing her along, you know, because, you know, as, as it's very obvious, he's trying to get with her. And it works at the end, especially with the hot air balloon sequence. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's yeah, the last one. And we might visit six. I don't know, but five is so brutal, dude. This is kind of the end run for me. Okay, yeah. I, we could go ahead and skip five if, if it's that bad. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so awful, dude. Oh, there's no jokes. The director sucks. Gutenberg's gone. And uh, it just and seven is also the worst. But six is okay. Um, what is your next film? Okay, next one. This one kind of took me a little bit by surprise. It's uh, not with Al Pacino, or, uh, but it is called Heat. It's with Burt Reynolds. Who well, turns out is a huge fucking asshole more than even I thought because he said that Trump was a good guy and John Voight was his best friend before he passed. So fuck Burt Reynolds, but his movies aren't that bad. Right, yeah, exactly. I did not know that either. Yeah, I found it out when I was doing research on it. This production was a fucking nightmare. They went through like seven directors. Holy shit. During production. Oh, wow. Yeah, he literally got sued for all the money he made on this because he punched out one of the directors. Damn, what the fuck, Bert? Yep, and then he tried to hire himself as a director, but there's a rule that says uh, you cannot do that because that would happen all the time then. Right, that's where the actors get complete control, and it's like, what's the point of having people there in the first place? Right, so besides that massive controversy, uh, I think this is the last good Burt Reynolds movie uh, that I can think of until, like, Boogie Nights. And... Um, it, it, this was redone a few years ago with Jason Statham as Wild Card, and uh, oh. it, that one's pretty good too. But there's, there's something about this one where 
uh, he's just a broken man who's finding all the excuses he can to not leave Vegas, even though all he does is talk about leaving Vegas. And he used to be uh, kind of a weapons master and, you know, a gun for hire, but now he's getting older. Now he just kind of does small tasks here and there for, like, shit money, but to help nice people. And then it, it, it's it's kind of it's it's from a novel, so it does have kind of like uh, what do I say like stories, you know, like the way a road trip movie is. Uh, it's like episodic. Hmm. Definitely. Yes. At first, he's trying to help out that one guy with the uh, toupee. You know. Well, no. At first, he's like hitting on that woman in the bar, and the guy in the toupee kicks his ass. But later on, you find out the guy meets him up later. Is like, dude, she bought it. It worked. Yeah. You know, he's just trying to impress himself with the ladies, show that he's intimidating. <laughs> and then uh yeah then there was that also that uh the sex worker she uh basically yeah she got like uh beat up by a particular client uh you know went too far dropped her off at a hospital and then burt reynolds later on tracks the guy down and beats the shit out of him yeah and it. that's the pivotal story of this whole thing because it does loop in and out of what else is going on in the movie right. and that's the one thing is he gets in over his head well, no, no. In this movie, he doesn't... So the difference between the two movies is there is a literal moment where Jason Statham is truly scared of what's going to happen because the guy's connected. But in this one, Bert doesn't really play it scared, but there's a thing where it seems like he might be out of his element. Um, but just the weaving in and out of that story amongst his being just a fucking loser who can't get out of Vegas, who blows all his money... And then he has Peter McNichol as like this young uh, kid who just wants to learn what life is like being tough, you know, in Vegas instead of what he's been doing. Exactly. Yeah. But he does show him the ropes as far as like business and money goes. And uh, he actually uh, wants to help Burt Reynolds out. He takes sympathy on him. And again, uh, that situation with the uh, spoiled brat. Yeah. No, Burt Reynolds was like, you know, again, admitting like he's not getting any younger. He's like kind of on his way kind of on his way out as that kid goes but he does go he does like you know look back and like you know what? i gotta do this for her before i leave and it was executed pretty brilliantly broke that one big guy's leg and uh beat the shit out of the other guys and pat uh what's her name like uh the sex worker came in oh. and she pretty much just put that kid in his place i was like oh my god this is so good i love it yeah can't help but i can't help but love those moments there's uh you can tell there's a little bit of reshooting i feel like at the end um, Peter McNichol clearly should have died, and they brought him back. And I was like, oh, you took a fucking shot to the chest, buddy. There's no way. Um, and, yeah, multiple shots, no less. Yeah, and some of the action sequence at the at the end seems like they brought someone in to kind of spice it up because it's kind of like he's throwing metal poles through people. He's doing these karate chops in the air to you know, blast a light bulb, and I was like, this is weird for Burt Reynolds. It doesn't seem like his kind of thing. Yeah, that I kind of laughed at. I'm like, yeah, that's a little ridiculous. It was ridiculous, but now that I've seen what Burt Reynolds has done stunt-wise, he might have actually done that jump kick. I don't know. No, oh, yeah, no. That would be a surprise. I, that would be a bit of a surprise for me, honestly. But again, scenes like where the girl comes in and like threatens to shoot the kid's dick off, I'm like, well, shoot, that's what you got to do to patriarchy. That's how you got to treat it. Yeah. Just like in RoboCop, when he shoot that one, when he shot that one guy in the dick. <laughs> that's just, that's a... <laughs> uh, See, I recommend this okay. movie. I got this pretty cheap, too. It was from a company that went out of business, and they sold it to Lionsgate, so it's like five bucks or something. And it's the only way you're going to get it in high definition because it's only it's never been on Blu-ray. Okay, good. Makes sense. 
right. So, what's our next film? Just, right. Next film, I would have to say, is this little Michael J. Fox movie uh, called Secret of My Success. I think I might have, like, glimpsed a couple scenes before when I was younger, and that was it. Yeah, this is actually a but, big hit. This was number one for three weeks, uh, and it made $66 million, which back then was a lot of money. But uh, I've seen oh, this yeah. movie probably 150 times growing up, but I hadn't seen it in decades, and I forgot how fast and loose the 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 slapstick. What do you call it? Um, the frenetic energy that's going on in, in these jokes. Right. Yeah. Like just how uh, not rambunctious, but screwball. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Screwball comedies. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it was. And, and it does kind of give like a little peek of how the corporate world actually operates to this day and age. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, again, just the way Michael J. Fox played himself out, you know, kid from out of, t- you know, kid from the Midwest coming out to the big city. He gets a job, but then when he arrives there, it's gone because the company was sold out, was, was uh, bought and sold out by a rival. Right. So he thinks so he has like it made crap. instantly and then it goes to complete shit. I know. Oh God, that one scene when he's calling his uh, mom over the phone. He's like, "I'm just watching TV right now, Ma." He's like, "You know, not, not wanting her to worry." And then he, a fucking robbery goes on right in the background. He's like, "Yeah, no, it's just uh, there's a shootout scene in this movie." He's trying to play it off so well. It's like, dude. <laughs> oh man. Again, uh, Michael J. Fox does have like great knack for physical comedy. Good That's lord, yeah. You forget how incredible his timing is with physical and dialogue. Oh gosh, absolutely! I'm like, if it wasn't transparent before in Back to the Future, I'm like, shit, this is definitely the movie that would show it. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Helen Slater was in this too. He's the the dream girl at the uh, at the workplace. Yeah, and I think Helen this is kind of her last thing for a little while. I thought she took a break and then she came back for City Slickers, but for the most part, she became a, a mom. So she had the run of Super uh, Supergirl, Billie Jean, and this. Mm, and then came back for City Slickers. Yeah. Well, I mean, depending on her success, I mean, shoot, she was allowed to take a break. And, again, some people end up just, like, uh, choosing the family life over Hollywood. I mean, Ralph Macchio did that. Right. A lot of people, if they save up their money, they got it, you know, they got a plan set up. They can walk away if they need to. Well, Rick Moranis was able to do that, too. Of course, again, he also thought of his kid. He wanted to raise his kid himself after his wife passed. So, again, more power to him. Yeah, I think this is a fun screwball comedy. has a lot of energy. It's so bizarre that it's directed by Herbert Ross, who is known for doing more like musical movies. He had come off of Flashdance, not Flashdance, Footloose before this. And um, you can see the energy, though, that he put into those dance sequences uh, into the screwball comedy. Oh, absolutely. You could definitely tell there's a lot of life and energy from almost like every little moment. Or heck, even when they're out to getting something to eat, also, even the... Uh, something as little as the waitress like you know being very knowledgeable you know stuff like that it's always good to see trying to remember the boss the owner from uh major league is uh in this and i can't remember her name but i believe she uh, margaret something um i know she was in the damn it she was in one of the movies we'd seen recently margaret witten let me check margaret witten yeah she's uh, yeah. the owner of the the Indi- the cleveland indians in um in major league one and two and I believe she's also the mom in Little Monsters. But yeah, she's a lot of fun in this one. I think this is the first time I had ever seen her. Yeah, she passed away a few oh years god. ago. Oh my god, that's awful to hear. But you're right, she was the mom in Little Monsters. Now I remember. 
Yeah. Actually, she retired in Again. 1994. She, the Major League Two was basically her last movie. Oh wow. Yeah. So it's. I think it's a really high energy, funny. It's, it's a lot dirtier than I remembered it being. But it. I, I think it's PG-13. But there's some stuff in there where there's like just constant orgasms, and he's doing that orchestrating to the orgasms. And I was like, I saw this a lot as a kid. I don't even think I even understood what that was. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> right. Oh, and then just to find out, like, the woman he's querying, the one he's driving uh, to their little countryside home, was his own aunt. Oh, that's kind of fucking my marriage. twisted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's kind of weird, man. Yeah, I know. That shit was nuts. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Oh, but, yeah, overall, it was a really good film. And it, it's a success. It it's it's part of the title <laughs> and it's not a secret nope <laughs> alright what is our next film uh, now this one I watched uh, I did watch I think maybe once when I was in middle school we were talking about the whole uh, prohibition era and again I think it was what really helped uh, launch Kevin Costner to even more stardom Untouchables yeah, by this, Brian De Palma. Yeah, this is his big show. This is his debut. He had been in Silverado, and people noticed him, but he was never like this, where he was like an authority type. And I was just shocked at how he went from like zero to sixty, where he was just like a goofball, and um, and then becoming like this guy who is just a true leader and building this team. And I think it's one of the best like core cast. I love a good and uh, ensemble. And these guys taking on fucking big, bad Robert De Niro playing fucking Capone, man, with a shaved head and putting on a bunch of weight. It's a hell of a movie. Oh, absolutely. My God. Uh, Brian De Palma, you, you, you can expect some crazy shit from Brian De Palma, that much is certain. Yeah, but it's, it's a little uh, more controlled because he's known for kind of exploitation movies um, in some of his stuff. Right. But he really uses his skills in this to make something that's like mainstream. I'm guaranteeing you this is how he got hired for Mission Impossible. Oh, wow. I, oh, that's right. He did do the first one, didn't he? Yeah. I, I'm saying, I'm thinking that because he was able to handle it with some class and it was from the same studio is why Paramount said, hey, you know what? He did a good job with this. Give him um, Mission Impossible. And he, you know, really did a good job with that too. God, yes, he did. And they're both uh, based off of TV series. Yeah. Um I think the action sequences are thrilling, uh, either because they're so rousing, like an old western with the epic music, or it's got this tension, especially at the end with Billy Drago, and uh, you know he's the assassin in the white suit. And I was like, yeah, De Palma can do both, big epic and you know tight thriller. Yeah, but not like crazy, over the top, what the hell's going on kind of stuff. Right. Well, you this know, is before fast control. editing and stuff like that that would show up a decade later. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, even then, I think Brian Holland would, could easily master that. But, um, yeah, again, uh, that was the actor's name. I'd seen him in so many other things before. Billy Drago. God, he always had this, like, the characters he would play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but, man, again, a great ensemble cast. You know, Sean Connery, uh, Andy Garcia, and, oh, God, he's from uh, American Graffiti and Starman. I oh, he became a director. Um, ah. Charles Martin Smith. Charles Martin Smith. That's it. Yes, that's who it is. Yeah, no. Again, I, dude, that hurt when he does. That hurts. That so does, especially it. since oh, they hurt. rub it in his face at Touchable. Well, I mean, when Connery takes it too, it's really hard to. And you know what the funny thing is? I'm watching the movie now. I, I've seen it a bunch, so I didn't finish it, but I was, I was starting to watch it before we recorded. And 
I didn't remember it being so like kind of dialogue based funny especially when they introduced Andy Garcia and holy shit you want a 0 to 60 besides Kevin Costner Andy Garcia is a fucking star the second you see him oh god yes absolutely especially kids got swagger absolutely and he, and he brings that back in Godfather 3 yeah well I mean just he became like a leading man for the next decades I mean he's still around a lot but not really as a lead I can't remember the last time I saw him but he seems to be more of a character actor now right I don't know like I said he can still pull it off he's still got a lot I still see his potential yeah um but, what is the next film okay uh, the next film oh gosh this one I had to save for last I hadn't seen it so long again I'd only seen snippets of when I was a kid Beverly Hills Cop 2 oh god it's another one I, this was literally on the tape with Secret of My Success so I've seen them both a hundred times yeah, I know. For me, it's such an enjoyable film. Uh, Tony Scott does take over. You definitely see uh, the difference in directing and yeah. pacing. You could tell it, uh, especially when it comes to the action sequences. Tony Scott uh, can deliver. Yeah, it's, it's so the action yeah. is a little better, um, and it's more stylish. You can see, like, Martin Brest is a very, right? Martin, it was Martin Brickman or Martin Brest that directed uh, Beverly Hills Cop. But he has a very straightforward direction style. Whereas it's more stylish, he's using that that fake fog, you know, to give lighting and stuff like that. It's a lot darker tone. It's a lot more violent. For God's sakes, it's a lot more violent. But mm-hmm. he still can handle the comedy. I think he, especially when they beef up uh, Billy Rosewood and uh, Taggart's role. Oh God! Especially Billy's character development. That that always got me. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ! Like, oh, Dirty Rosewood. <laughs> Right, no, he's all like happy. He's got it, like you know, very peaceful house, full of plants. And then the back of the door, Axel sees all his guns. He's like, "God damn, Billy!" Even Tyrus like, "We gotta talk about this later, Billy." <laughs> um, and then, of course, my favorite is when he's putting together that that rocket launcher. That that kills me every time. When he's like, he's just reading the instructions. All like, he's like a happy little boy. He's like, and then pull the button, and <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> Um, to this day, on a regular basis, I refer to things as Munich and Unique. <laughs> and I'll do that thing where he's walking. He's like, I got hot explosive ammo here. <laughs> what am I going to do with my kids? What am I going to do for my kids? I need money. I need shoes for my Munich and Unique. <laughs> Maybe something that goes in this hand. And it's just so fucking. Um, or when Gilbert Godfrey, he literally improved that whole scene. And he just picks up the phone for no reason, and he says, bitch, and then shuts it down, and Eddie loses it on film. If you look, he is fighting it off so bad. No, seriously. Uh, yeah, I can notice that. Like, stars would start to crack on screen. Uh, even in the first one, Taggart, um, uh, this is the fir- that was the first time Eddie Murphy had ever had coffee. Uh, Taggart, as he, like, kind of rubbing his nose, like, after the whole strip club sequence, he's rubbing his nose because he's trying so hard not to laugh and stay in character because Eddie Murphy's just gotten on that well. Yeah. And again, as you as you mentioned, that scene right there too. Fucking Gilbert Godfrey always gets me, so I couldn't blame him. Every I think I think everybody gets to have fun in this because at this point they have more money, and a lot of these guys started to break out. I mean, by this point, Judge Reinhold was a leading man. Um, Paul Reiser had come off of Aliens, and he was a hot comic, so he gets a lot of fun to do. He's like when he has to get down below the desk and pretend to be his uh, his superior when they call um, the, the, the one fucking guy, the the guy with the huge comb over. Um, uh, he calls oh, the Detroit. Chief. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Lombard or Humbard, I can't remember. But um, yeah, he's a prick. Regardless, he's a real prick, and he calls him and he goes, "That son of a bitch, <laughs> Axel Foley. He should. He's supposed to be deep, deep undercover, deep, 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 whatever." And then the guy goes, "What the fuck are you doing in my office? Oh my god, I don't even know. I didn't even realize this was your office. I'm so sorry." It's... <laughs> Goddamn quotable. Um, when he goes to the uh, when he goes to the um, the Playboy Mansion, and he just hands the keys to Chris Rock. He's like, "What am I supposed to fucking do with this thing?" Shit, I want to go watch this movie oh, right God, now. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna stop recording. I'm gonna go watch this now. Um, but then when he's oh, like, wait, "Let me get the popcorn." Yeah, <laughs> but he's like, "Well, how are we gonna find him?" Well, yeah, just follow your dick. <laughs> Half, I'm a huge fan, and this guy here, he kills cops for a living. <laughs> oh my god, I've seen so many fucking Brid- Bridget Nielsen is like her last hurrah. He goes, "You a huge bitch." <laughs> I know, seriously, I know. God damn. <laughs> we have Dean Stockwell. Like- this thing is loaded to the gills. Oh. Jurgen Prochnow. Oh, yes. Jurgen Prochnow. Gosh, he was so monster. Yeah. He was, you could tell he was just so commanding and just so sinister. And he the, brings that back for Judge Red. There's a, there's a uh, Oingo Boingo. No, not an Oingo Boingo. This is when Danny Elfman went solo for a year. He does a song that's called Gratitude, which I absolutely love. And this, that one's on the, the CDs. It's still available. But he would do this in summer school. And uh, he started doing oh, wow. like individual tracks for these movies. And I can't find the one for summer school anywhere. So happy. Dang, I'll have to look into it. Yeah, we got to watch uh, summer school. We got to watch that. I love summer school. Oh, Absolutely. I know I do too. Uh, I had I watched it so much when I was a kid, like uh, during summer, no less, on summer break on HBO. Yeah. But uh, there was there was one thing I did want to mention about Brigitte Nielsen. I think this is before I'd seen her in Red Sonia. But yeah, I did not know this was realize this was like her last hurrah. But she yeah. did carry herself in an action movie. Yeah. Well, she divorced Stallone and basically became a pariah after that. Oh wow! Did not realize it was like that. Yeah. But still, um. There's also some one sequence. Of, oh god! I will say this: the mystery me. in this one is better than the first movie. There's a real case. If you took out all the comedy, it's still a solid crime film. Oh god, absolutely! Yeah, the whole alphabetizing. Yeah. Uh, all the little uh, heists and robberies, and then yeah, it ended up just being like a huge insurance scam because the guy was losing money, so he needed the money. Uh, but yeah, that whole, oh god, yeah, again that Playboy Mansion sequence. <laughs> There's poop, little, in um... There's poop in the pool. There's poop in the pool. Someone shoot the pool. It's that. There's that. Uh, his way of trying to get in there, and he's like, "Oh my god, I've died and gone to heaven." <laughs> he's like, "Hey, don't you know who this oh, is? Man. This is former President Gerald Ford." Gerald. Oh god. <laughs> Again, he's always going to pull some wacky shit. Oh god. Even at the. Oh god. Even with the house sequence, like when yeah. in the pool. I have to get out of the fucking pool. <laughs> And then he slips and falls. Oh, he's dressing that ridiculous, those ridiculous clothes. Oh, oh I know. Oh, when yeah, he's trying like, to explain just... to the guy, when he goes, stop working on the house. Stop working on the house. This is supposed to be, and he's just literally making that up. He's like, put this here. And the guy's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He goes, these are in the new plans. You didn't get the new plans? <laughs> God, this movie's gold. It's fucking gold. It is. It's, I, it is. And... it's so bad. The third so... one's so bad. Oh, my God, the third one sucks. I haven't seen the third one in a long time, oh. but yeah, just that opening, that opening song though. When you see Eddie Murphy, like you know, getting prepped by you know, 
Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, Shakedown. That's so oh, God, yeah. Song. And then they made a movie called Shakedown the next year, and they were so cheap that they buy the fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah, seriously. Again, yeah, this is a comic gold, and for it to be as good or or even maybe even slightly better than the first one, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. It's just, yeah, oh. the third one. They've been trying to make a four forever, and I just don't know if it's ever going to happen. I don't know. I mean, coming to America finally happened. That's true. Success, true. So. Well, maybe. We'll wait and see. Maybe he's just doing his reunion tour right now. As I feel like a lot of actors do that. Towards the end of their career, they come back to their biggest hits. Like, that's what Harrison Ford's doing. I get the feeling there's going to be a Brendan Fraser, like, return of some sort. Like, there'll be another mu- a Mummy movie or something where we... Because there's a dude right there who needs to be appreciated properly. Yeah, and uh, like I said, dude, I mean, he definitely deserves a lot more. He's been through so much shit. Yeah. That much is certain. But to see him come back on fucking uh, Doom Patrol, yes. God, that was so good. Before we, yeah, let's not get too far off the track. I I apologize. That's my fault. What is the next film? What are we on anyway? Five? Five out of six? One, two, three, four, five. No, I think we just did six. Oh, no. Really? Yes. Hold on. Yeah. Beverly Hills Cop. Go ahead. Okay, Critical Condition, uh, Police Academy 4, Heat, Secret of My Success, Untouchables, and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Son of a bitch, we did. Wow, and we ended with the best of the bunch. Well, I I think actually Untouchables is better, but I have so much fun watching Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You're a crazy son of a bitch, you did it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that is it it for this episode. We'll have six more 1987 movies uh, to come. We have so many... This is one of the greatest movie years of all time. When I par- tried to put together of my favorite movies on Letterboxd, it wasn't the usual 10 choices. It was like 40 choices. There's so many great, wild, forgotten films of this year. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, uh, Jacob, <laughs> send us out. All right, namaste and good luck, my friends. And be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. Go a fucking pool, Axel. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Comics on Infinite Earths. I'm your host, Michael. Uh, Avery is returning for another episode. I, that is embarrassing. I, for a second there, I was like, where do I go? Do I do, hey, we're going to discuss this? Or do I say who's in this? Do I say my name? Do I say his name? What do I do? I don't know what to do! <laughs> <laughs> that was like freezing. That was embarrassing. I'm so unprofessional. It's disgusting. It's, it's okay. Totally fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Totally so, fine. You know what? That's why I asked him to lead. I'm a, a, a schmuck. Uh, no, this is actually your selection. I have never once really dug into Moon Knight. I read a little bit of the Charlie Houston run from what I think like five, six years ago because Charlie Houston's my favorite writer, and he was dabbling uh-huh. in comics. I was like, holy crap, Moon Knight. I mean, he looks cool, but I don't know anything about him. So sure, I'll check it out. And I was like, it's okay. I mean, I don't really get the character, and, and Finch's uh, art is nice, but it's. It's kind of retro. It felt more like 90s style with more uh, blood in it. And I, I was I was like, it's okay, but I don't think I'll ever read Moon Knight again. When you suggested it, I was like, are we going old school? Are we getting like the Essentials Collection? Or are we going new school? And you said new, and I was like, all right, what are we going with? And you said? Let's go ahead and do Moon Knight uh, 2016. 
this one is actually called Lunatic. Uh, I now the reason I went for this was like I've like I've touched on before, like these rebirth and the revamps, the issues, and and another word that starts with re. Um, uh, get these interesting little tidbits, these interesting stories, these interesting perspectives. Uh, 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 characters with the newer twists um with this one um i caught up with this because hey let's have the character moon knight let's reintroduce character moon knight uh to the you know doubting marvel landscape but let's put it to it we're gonna moon knight and upward <laughs> um like from the from the issue from the cover of the from the cover i was immediately drawn in and the first the, the first couple pages um i was merely still the same story will have this character and he makes this deal so he did because like hey i'm about to die i want to die and he actually makes a deal with an egyptian god named Kanshu, and kind of hey man it's cool i'll save your life but you gotta work for me and then he's like that's fine i'll do that and then he wakes up in the psych ward and i and from that moment, I was that's I was drawn in because it's, it's refreshing. Yeah, it takes the a choosing. whole different. Normally, when they relaunch a character for new readers, what they do is they start with these massive battles. You know, introduce a new villain or a revamped villain, and you end up in this whole like either a conspiracy or a big battle, and all of a sudden they go the almost like a vertigo. You know, with DC, they go internal with this. They go into the mind, and they take in a direction you did not expect. I've heard that this cur- this character slowly over the decades has gone, like, insane. But, man, they take it to the absolute degree of, like, yep, he's in his madness. He needs to uh, uh, just stay there for a little while. <laughs> and the cool thing the, about the Moon Knight character, uh, overall, uh, I know a lot of people are going to say he's like Batman. Like Batman. Like, uh, I, I can't even really say that. I can just, a lot of people would say that. But biggest thing that people, you know, the big Moon Knight fans would say is this. Batman wears all black at night because he doesn't want to be seen. Meanwhile, Moon Knight wears all white at night because he wants to. <laughs> that and um, I, did you ever read, <laughs> did you read Moon Knight before this? I'm curious. I I touched on let me see that was what I read from let me see the uh let me see which run that was it was a Moon Knight issue from '98 uh, it was Moon Knight three and that was the first time I actually was introduced to it and I'm and I look at this I'm like this guy is a little bit more a little bit more badass than Batman is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, um, I I don't know what he was like in the beginning. I remember him. I don't, I don't know if it was part of Spider Man or part of Incredible Hulk. I had subscriptions to both, and I do remember seeing um, an appearance by him in that. But at the time, I didn't really know about Batman, um, so I didn't know about the comparisons. But there are a few characters who have that motif of the rich guy who uses his money to fight crime. He has gadgets and and stuff like that, and sometimes costumes, sometimes not. It's not like Moon Knight's the only guy to take that idea. There's tons of characters in comic books and movies that have taken that concept. And I I would even, and and that's the thing that I would argue is that um, we don't heavily, like, we don't heavily uh, uh, use that influence on anybody else. 
uh, Tony Stark. We we see Tony Stark, and he is publicly known to be Iron Man. He is publicly known to be there. Uh, he works in the day. He works at night. He he works in other countries. He has a, he has multiple teams of you know, superheroes. You know because that's his thing. He makes money off of that. Uh, meanwhile, Batman lives this double life of I'm Bruce Wayne, playboy billionaire, and I'm also Batman. Um, Moon, however, I think Moon takes it a step further. Um, we have his, uh, his his real name will be Mark Speck, uh, and then he also has personality he uses, and his name is Jake Lockley. And Jake Lockley would be like this street-level guy. You know, he's a key driver. And so what he does is he gathers all the intel from the street level and, and, and the and the criminals and the world, all that information. And then he also has another alter ego, and his name is Stephen Grant. And Stephen Grant, he's a uh, movie star. That's how he gets the bigger news. <laughs> and he uses – so, like, you, you have three personas. You have Mark actually going in as Moon Knight, and then you have two other characters getting involved so that – at, at, when it's time for him to go in, you know he's all the angles on this. Uh, he, he's a, he's a great detective. He has all gadgets. He has the money. He has the power. He has the persona. He has it all. <laughs> yeah, and I remember somewhere along the way, I think it was in those Marvel guides uh, around eighty six, eighty seven, that would tell you all the major characters and their biographies and stuff like that. I remember seeing a photo of him. You know, holding his girlfriend, and then him as three different people, and I didn't realize that he was undercover as different stuff. It's like he was developing these, and it became like split personality. He couldn't figure out who he was from day to day, and that's kind of the basis where this comes from. Is he couldn't remember? Like that's the break in his mentality. That is what it is. Like uh, instead of being the backdrop on the story, instead of like his uh, alter egos being the back story, we actually use that as biggest issue in the story where Mark Spector does not know who he is and he can recall being Jake Lockley. He can recall being Steve and most he can recall being Knight. Uh, and and that's that's the thing that tears him up about. and yet when he goes and talks his doctor, his doctor's like, You've been in this psych wars for twelve years old, but you designed your prison. You know, you, you, you go on these things, you have all these stories, you have all these journals, you have all these stories um, about this Moon Knight. Now, we're not saying Moon Knight's not real because Moon Knight is actually very real, but it's not Mark Spector's story or so everybody says. So he's saying that Moon Knight exists, but he believes Moon Knight's under the costume. It's someone completely different because he's seen Mark Spector in front of him. Mark Spector wholeheartedly believes that he's Moon Knight. Uh, he, he was. Uh, I'm actually getting to now. Um, he went to the mental hospital. Uh, he's been and bruised up by his uh, some orderlies. He wakes up the next day. He he sees these people, the other patients, and all the other patients are people uh, that he's had adventures with. Uh, uh, there's there's a lady named Gina, and she was an informant in the original series. Uh, she's there. There's uh, Crawley. Crawley, um, he is a pretty story. And Crawley's the one that's just like, hey, I know what's going on. I know you're not crazy, but uh, we we got to count it down low. Um, also sees uh, Marlene um, of interest from the entire from like the entire Moon Knight series. Yeah, I definitely actually remember her. When, yeah. 
Yeah, and when they introduced her in in a tick, he looked at her, and art for that showed Spectre, uh, Marlene, and they were you know it, you know they were singing everything. It was just like this is this is great. But like in, in Lunatic, she's I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on. Um, and while he's actually there, he's watching TV, and Moon Knight is actually on the TV, and they say, you know, hey, Moon Knight had another run last night, um, but good night, whatever. Let's move on to the next next little news. Um, that's where it gets kind of confusing for him because he's thinking, I'm Moon Knight. What's Moon Knight doing on TV? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then actually later, uh, he and like I. The story starts off with him consults Kanshu, and later that night he says, "Kanshu, can you, you know? Are you there? What's up?" And he's like, "I'm always here. I'm available for you to talk to. Um, what's going on?" And he's like, "Am I really Moon Knight?" And he's like, of course you're Moon Knight. Or, uh, and he tells him to escape. So what he does is gets a pillowcase. <laughs> he gets a pillowcase. He cuts some holes out. Does a little design. And escapes. Uh, he he fights a couple. He fights the order earlier. He finally gets out, and when he actually gets outside, uh, New York is covered in sand. There's pyramids, uh, architecture everywhere. And tell him, hey, my brother set uh, another Egyptian guy is trying to take over the world. And the thing is, he said the illusion is so strong that other superheroes like the strange or iron man or you know all these other uh all these other prominent superheroes they can't see it because this is beyond their realm of knowledge this is beyond their realm of existence but except does take over you know then we would have a on our hands there um what happens is uh, the orders actually catch up to them while this is all going on and they look different now they actually look like crocodiles and they subdue him. They they inject him. Buddy, hey, uh, here's something funny. After recording podcast for three years while talking to Avery, because you'll notice there's a little bit of audio glitch there that we've never had on the show before. Um, I'm talking to him, and I sit there and go, "Hey, why don't I just plug this in? We're talking like normal people on a normal phone call instead of Facebook or Skype." And it sounds better than it ever has over the three years that I've been recording. Seriously. By the way, Avery, this is episode 400. This is the 400th podcast that I've done. So congratulations, buddy. 400th podcast. And we just, just, and we just figured out how technology works. This is great. I know. <laughs> and technology has been around for decades. I feel like a moron. Sorry to dead stop the episode, but we just thought it was funny, and we didn't want you to fail because it was getting all robotic. And I was like, "This is frustrating. What I do? I don't know how to fix this." And then all of a sudden, the moment happened. And uh, hey, previously on, <laughs> previously on Moon Knight, where were we? <laughs> previously one. on Moon Knight. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll see. The. Um, from there, and it, you know, it's funny that you actually mentioned that because um, this is actually where I believe the third issue picks up. Where, um, uh, let's see, Mark Spector is like 100% undoubt, like undoubtedly knows he is Moon Knight. He knows this, and he goes to his doctor, and his doctor's name is Emmett, and he says, "That's not your name. Your name is Amut." 
which is the Egyptian god for judgment, and she eats souls and hearts. <laughs> nice, that's a good diet. Healthy. That is that is that is that is really great. That is really great. Um, and she says, "Okay, you know what? We was making progress before. I don't know what the hell happened. Just, just, just go. Just, just go back to your cell. We'll figure something else out." Uh, once again, Kanshu visits him uh, that night, and he tells him, "Hey." Um, he pretty much gives him the backstory of Moon Knight. Uh, they talk about spirituality. It, it, one of my things is with this comic is the panels. I am a huge fan for the arts that come with uh, comics, and in this one, in this, in the, a lot of particular scenes in this, um, there's these two page, um, two page. I want to say murals that just show off. You know the 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 art between uh, it's like a mix between Egyptian art, the art that you find in a comic book. Um, it's it's crazy. I love it. Um, well, it's like cinematography. Actually... Some comic book artists don't understand that it's just like film. You need to set up the frame in order to get the idea of what you want to cross. Yet comic book artists have more range. Like you're you're talking with film and TV, you have that frame only that that cell that you're shooting on of course now it's digital you can manipulate a little bit but with comic cards you have the whole page you can cut it and edit it in any way possible some people know how to do it some people make a mess and some people just go i'm lazy i'm gonna fill the whole page with nothing you know i just but yeah this guy does it right this is like uh, uh actually with the I'm, I'm gonna just touch on this really quick uh with the art direction that was used on this um the, anytime he talks to Khonshu, it's like this black and white distortion um, that they have anytime he's there. Just to show you that, you know, we're going to take a step back from what we see uh, with the regular art and show like this distorted reality, you know, in which that Khonshu and Mark Spector can talk and exist in. Um, and I really love that. And I really love that. It's like you have at least, I want to say, three, maybe four different art styles that go in here. Um and it's great. It's really great. Um, moving on from there, um, he gets tortured again. Like, that's actually part of this whole little psych ward is um, they go and they get tortured um, by the orderlies. And the orderlies, it's, it's just like the worst possible thing that I can think of right now. Uh, that you're trapped inside your own mind and you know who you are, but no one else is going to follow along with that. Um, so he plans an escape with uh, crawling. And he says, hey, look, uh, let's get everybody. We got to get Gina. We got to get yourself. We got to get Marley. Uh, Marlene, um, we're going to escape it. We're going to get out of here. Um, what happens is, let's see, let's see, let's see. Where am I at? Where am I at? Oh, no wonder. That's the wrong page. <laughs> I was about to start reading back from what we just discussed. Um while you're looking, I want to say this real quick. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I've never seen this artist before. Greg Smallwood. I don't know what he's from, but he's fantastic. Do you know what he did before this? Greg Smallwood. Actually, let me see. Where did I put that up at? Now, I know Jeff Lamar. He did uh, a bunch of stuff for DC. He was doing Animal Man. I know he did Justice League Canada, of all things. And he did some weird, like, like small teeth or... Uh, some weird independent book. I had it for a little bit, but he was kind of one of those independent guys that rose up. Sweet Tooth? Sweet Tooth. That's it. And uh, kind of did a bunch of DC stuff, and I guess he's over at Marvel now, or maybe he's not an exclusive. 
Uh, so Greg Smallwood, uh, he's actually, if you pull him up on Google, the only thing that I actually get is just this uh, series of the Moon Knight comics and also uh, a series called The Liar as well, too. Yeah, I um, that one. So that's, far behind that's about it. It's terrible. Maybe he's a new guy. Yeah, I mean, hey, but I am 100% in support of this because the work that he put in for this um, is just remarkable, honestly. Um, I, I, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I mean, that's the art. Yeah, rethinking the Moon Knight costume, by the way, is phenomenal. Getting him out of the cape and into the fancy suit, that's badass. I would love to see this on film. Why is it exactly that... Uh, he's never really been part of the Marvel Knights world. You think he would have been? I, I want his. I want Netflix to put him as part of the Defenders. I, you know what I will say is I think it's. Um, I think one of the reasons why he was never part of like the main, you know, the main course of Marvel is the story is a little bit out there. Uh, it's not your uh, typical story either. He's he's not your typical hero. Uh. And even with saying that, you know, I will say, well, Deadpool's not your typical hero. But is he as likable as Deadpool? Maybe no, not. No, he's not I mean, funny. This, he's this, just crazy. <laughs> this, this, it, it's a bitter pill to swallow. It, it, it's it's going to make you feel – I mean, I, I was uncomfortable reading this at times, you know. It's just because it's like it puts you in the thought of, you know, there's somebody in the psych ward that thinks they're 100% in, you know, insane and everybody else is crazy. And I'm just – it, it really touches on that mental health aspect that's going on. Yeah. Today. Um, but it, it's, it's a bitter pill. Uh, I, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people are going to like that and that's fine, but it, he has an audience and I, especially and with this revamp, I think the more people that, you know, get into it, the more people that's going to get into Marvel will actually see, you know, Moon Knight as his own character, as his own entity. And he's not the Marvel Batman. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking, you know, through his history, he's had so many different series. He, like Blade and so many others in Marvel that you would probably consider like C-level characters, like Nova, who have a consistent fan following, but just not enough to hit that sales mark. Where Marvel's like, alright, let's continue the series. They're like, okay, we went 12 issues, we went 24 issues, let's stop. And then a year later, like, you know what? There's still some buzz going around for this character. Let's, uh... Let's put him in something. Let's put him in Avengers for a while. Get some heat on him. Let's put him in this or whatever. And then, you know, he's back. And there's been so many different Moon Knight, but yet nothing really connects with the mainstream audience. But it was with that, it was that way with Deadpool. For years, he was like a almost canceled character, you know, just on the, the brink. And, and I, I, I think that's the thing. It's just like, I think he just needs... I think this revamp is exactly what he needs. I think that's what people need to see because it's it's enough to get you going on the, you know anything else that they would put out, and it also is going to draw you back into like the story, the characters, because you're going to want to know who who Marlene is, um, who Moon Knight is, who Conchu is. You're going to want to know all about this. You want to get into the deeper stories. You want to get into his lore. Um, so I think that this is a great jumping point for anybody to actually get into the series. Yeah, and Marvel really needs to bring back the Knights or some version of Vertigo. You know, something for mature readers. People who don't want to read beat em ups and these long, strong out storylines that are multi title, you know, just you know, like their version of Preacher, their version of Sandman and Swamp Thing and stuff like that. And 
Marvel always seems to be hesitant to attack sophisticated stories. They do seem to. And like I said, I think, I think we'll eventually get there. I think we will. I think we will. All right. Um, I've, I've interrupted enough. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You're fine. You're fine. So uh, going back in, uh, so he plans this escape with all the uh, with everybody else there. I forgot to mention, however, there the most one of the most important characters here is a guy that he's he met. His name is Frenchie. Now Frenchie is literally, if we're going to compare him to Batman, Frenchie would be the Robin character almost. But let's not compare him. To he's Batman. like Robin plus see. Alfred. <laughs> he's like the Robin plus Alfred, pretty much. Um, I forgot to mention Frenchie from earlier. Um, but anyway, so they plan to escape. It's Frenchie, it's Marlene, it's Crawley, it's uh, Gina, and they're ready to escape it. Uh, Crawley's getting everybody together. Um, Mark Spector then gets this white suit. He dons the mask, um, and he's ready to roll. You know, he's got his white suit on. He's 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 Moon Knight now, like unmistakably. And everybody else, all the other, uh, and you know, everybody else is believing that now. Um, while he's escaping, they run uh, from the uh, asylum and they go into a subway. And while this is going on, the walls around them start to show hieroglyphs. And Mark is asking. Are y'all seeing this, or am I the only one seeing this? And everybody's like, "No, we can see it too. We we all see this, all right." Um, so while they're going, uh, they actually uh, the orderlies finally catch up to them. They get attacked by some zombies, um, and then the orderlies come out and the doctor as well too. Uh, at this point, the doctor looks like a crocodile. The orderlies look like um, a, the dogs. Uh, Anubis, pretty much, and um, he's Mark Spector is the only one that can fight him. He tells everybody else to run off, go. I'll take care of this. Um, while he's fighting them, the orderlies inject him again, and the entire subway uh, goes from the Egyptian backdrop to just a regular subway. Um, and he's confused again. He's like, "What the heck just happened?" Um, he does not, and then they're just like, "You have to come back to, uh, you have to come back to the uh, hospital." And he's like, "No." And he in turns injects, he punches the orderlies, he injects the doctor, and he runs off down the subway, uh, the the train tracks. Kanchu comes back to him, and he says, "Look, no matter what happens, no matter what anybody says, you are Moon Knight." And then he tells him, "You have to let your insanity guide you." Let your madness show you the way. <laughs> Which is like now he's getting deeper and deeper into like his mental state pretty much is just like being deteriorated. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that some reason is like kind of part of his power is that letting that go all of a sudden is part of the, you know, seeing. What, what do you want to say? It's like his insanity allows him to see what's really going on. That, and that and that is the thing, like because like I mentioned earlier, the the uh, the cloak of deception is so strong that no one else can pick this up, besides Mark Spector, besides Conchu, besides Steph. Uh, that's how strong this deception is. Um, now, when they get to the end of the subway, they come to Anubis, uh, the god of the dead, actually, and he says, "Hey, I will take you guys." I'll take you guys to safe passage, but I require a uh, I require payment for this. Crawley says, "Hey, you know what? 
you can have my soul as long as we can as long as we can all leave. Nuba says that's fine. Uh, Mark Spector then makes a promise to Crawley to say, "Hey, look, it's great that you did this, but I'm gonna find a way to come back for you." And Crawley's like, "Hey, man, you're you're fine. Don't even worry about it. We are we are okay." You know, um, Mark, at this point, Crawley's you know he's old. He's been through life. He's he's ready to go. He's pretty much ready to go, and that's that's <laughs> um, you know he pretty much sacrifices himself so everybody else can leave. Uh, from there, they get to the street level, and once they're on the street level, it's sand everywhere. The pyramids are back, and Mark Spector is the only person I can see it. Pretty much everybody, Mark Spector, Marlene, the pretty much the crew can all see how crazy it is out here now. Um, while they're doing this, a cop runs up. He says, "What are you guys doing outside? It's raining. You know, it's about to get really bad. Or storms coming through." Uh, they realize, you know, this isn't rain. You know, um, I don't know what exactly it was that was actually falling. I want to say it was sand, but uh, Mark Spector says, you know what? Something's not right. And he punches the cop out of nowhere, just like beats the crap out of him. And everybody's like, what the heck did you do that for? And he pulls the cop's face off and it's a uh, it's a crocodile. (laughs) Um, While this is going on, um, the crocodile pretty much attacks uh, Frenchie, and Frenchie, like, he attacks him in the neck, and he's bleeding out. Uh, Mark Spector then kills the cop, and now Frenchie's laying out. He's he's dying. He says, hey, look, I'm coming back for you as well, too, man. I'm sorry. Um, but Frenchie's like, just go on, guys. I understand what's going on. Just, you have to get, you have to continue to go on. Um, they leave, and now it's only Mark Spector, Marlene, and Gina um and they go into a diner <laughs> the funny thing about this is uh they're all pretty hungry they're all pretty tired and uh they say you know what right now will be a great time for some pancakes <laughs> <laughs> um and the funny thing is Kanchu comes to him he's just like are you kidding me right now like the world hangs in the balance um, everything's going to shit and you're here eating pancakes. <laughs> um, so eventually Mar- Marlene finally wakes up and she says that they have to leave. Um, and they want, uh, Mark Spector says that she thinks, uh, between Mark Spector and Marlene, they think they know a way that they can stop, uh, Seth. Uh, Gina agrees to stay behind so that she's somewhere safe. Um, now while he's, uh, so, Marlene and uh, Mark Spector are running to the temple. There's a pyramid that's outside. And while this is going on, uh, Mark is going, like, he recalls all his memories, all the fights, um, the relationship that him and Marlene had. uh, It's all pretty much coming back to him now. So, like, now at this point, without the shadow of a doubt, without anything, no one can tell this man that he's Moon Knight. And he gets to the temple and he's attacked. And he's attacked by the actual Moon Knight. <laughs> Which is, I, uh, wh- what? <laughs> he's, 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 attacked by, he's attacked by the original Moon Knight. And when I say that, it's just like, you have Mark Spector. And he's in his, he's in his all white, you know, he's literally in a white suit. Uh, he's got like a white mask on. And then another Moon Knight comes out. And this is like the classic looking Moon Knight with the cloak. Uh, the the one piece, the belt, 
He's still got all the gadgets and everything. <laughs> um, and now he's confused. He's like, no, you know what? No, I still believe I'm Moon Knight. And he stabs him. He stabs um, that Moon Knight right there. And he says, I'm not insane. I know who I am. Um, he runs into the temple. And while he's running into the temple, he gets attacked. Um, and he opens one door. <laughs> so, like, this is actually, this is, it gets a little confusing here. Okay. So he runs into the temple. And while he runs into the temple, he ends up on the moon. <laughs> and he is being attacked. And uh, there's a door that's there on the moon. And he goes through that door. And now he's on a movie set. And he's, and he's, um, <laughs> he's Steve Grin again. And he's, he, he's just not making any sense. And the orderlies come out of nowhere. And so now he runs back into another door and he ends up on the street and now he's Jake Lockley. By the way, we um, should say each time it changes, the art changes. Everything about it changes. It feels like a whole different comic book. It does. And that that is the cool part. It's just like when he was, um, when he saw Moon Knight, it was the typical uh, art style of it. When he goes through one door, he's uh, Steve Grant. It's a whole other art style. When he switches the door and he's uh, Jake Lockley, it's colorful, but like muted in a way and then he goes through another door after he's attacked by the orderlies and he's back you know what it looks like literally okay so the werewolves on the moon looks like image the movie set looks like dark horse and the uh new york streets looks like vertigo it's crazy how (laughs) it just switches like that and it's literally like why you're flipping through the pages you know um and then what happens is he ends up um walking through the last door and on the last door he finds Seth and the only thing is Seth is beaten up he's bloodied he's in prison and he says I'm not the one that did this I'm not the I I am I am not the one that set this world in motion I'm not the one with this with any of this okay it's not me so he says it was actually Conchu that did it Conchu is the one that was the one pulling all the strings here uh, he goes outside and he sees uh, the original Moon Knight in a chair, bloodied, uh, after he had stabbed him. And the Moon Knight takes his mask off, and it's Conchu. <laughs> Conchu pretty much tells him, uh, I needed you, my son. I needed you, and you came to me against all odds. And he's like, why did you do this? That I pre- pretty much the reason why he did it was he needed his life. He needed his soul. He needed his vessel. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. And he runs. He jumps off of the pyramid. And he kills himself. And then he wakes up as Steve Grant. <laughs> so he killed the personality of Mark Spector? He killed... Mark Spector is... I have no idea how to interpret this, honestly, but the art style went back to the original uh, Moon Knight, and Mark Spector's the one that jumps from the pyramid, um, and, while, and then he dies, and then when he wakes up, he wakes up as Steve Grant. <laughs> it makes me think and that he killed off one of his personalities. If he killed off a personality, he has another one to go. <laughs> Uh, but he's a, he, he wakes up with Steve Grant. He's in bed with Marlene. He's just it's the morning, and she's like, "Hey, how's everything going?" You know, he's like, "Hey, I 
just had a very weird dream. <laughs> but that's how it ends. That is how it ends right there. Like, we literally get left with this cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an excellent story. Um, I'm still I, I'm still curious about everything that took place before this. Like I said, I, I tapped in a little bit onto the Charlie Houston storyline. But I think I want to go back and dig into the uh, the essential collections are done. Marvel's not doing them anymore. They're now moving on to the epic collections. So they're not black and white anymore. They're not on that cheap paper. They're now the epic collections. And they have grabbed the Moon Knight titles and be reprinting those. So you can get those for a decent price. I think like $13, $15, something like that. And uh, I'm going to go back. I want to I check those tales out. Uh, but this no is excellent. Problem. If you're into the like the Vertigo DC lines, stuff like from Dark Horse, Oni Press, you know, more mature line, uh, it is Marvel technically, but it feels a step beyond. It's not so embroiled in all that, you know, all those characters, all that, all those battles. It's its own thing. And that is that is actually one of the uh, one of my favorite little things about. It. And honestly, now uh, I was actually looking at my digital comic of Moon Knight right now. Um, in the back of it, it shows the uh, different variant covers of them. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know if anybody else, like, I don't know if I've expressed this before, but I am a huge, like, as as much as I love comics, as much as I love Marvel, I am a huge hip-hop rap fan. Um, uh, and that's from the beginning to now. Do you, and so, do you read Hip Hop Nation? By Ed I, I actually that was actually one of the things I actually had on my list to actually get to. Um, let me see. So let me actually pull that up, and I need to make sure that. Let me see. Hip hop page. Uh, but one of the things I do like is why I'm the biggest Marvel fan is for their hip hop variants covers. Uh huh. And that. I love those. I only, got, um, I only got one variant in here, and it was the action figure variant, I think. Uh, maybe I didn't. Let me see. Uh, what is your, oh, is yours the one with the schizophrenic Moon Knight? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah, sir. Uh, that, was, <laughs> that was actually a uh, that was actually the uh, cover of uh, the Schoolboy Q album Oxymoron. Uh, and I think it's funny that they picked that one because uh, on the cover of the uh, album. He's wearing a white mask, and then on the album, on the uh, in the comic, you have uh, you know Mark Spector with his white mask. So it's just like they Marvel knows what they're doing. <laughs> I wish I knew who Schoolboy Q was. I barely, I barely have scratched the surface. Is he mainstream or underground? Because I only know. I what... would, I would say he's a uh, he's a mix. He's a mix because uh, if you're familiar with Kendrick Lamar, he raps along with Kendrick Lamar. Um, he's actually, I would actually say I like him more than I like Kendrick, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I'm so um, far behind. I had a, a co-worker uh, a few years ago who was like, you have to listen to some of this underground stuff. So I'm like listening to Los Chicharrones and uh, um, Airborne, I think it was, and stuff like that. Like, And, and it kind of like SoCal-oriented hip-hop, and that's about all I listened to the last few years. Um, and then 90s hip hop I will pop in Tribe Called Quest on a regular basis third base stuff like that Um, Uh, uh, leaders of the new school stuff like that but that's about it gotcha gotcha but uh, like I said huge fan huge uh, uh, the fact that it's Moon Knight the fact that it's Schoolboy Q the fact that it's Marvel the fact that it's a hip hop variant uh, it's like it's like they cater this story for me and and that's I think this is the crazy part 
Um, but like I, like I mentioned before, I think this is the perfect revamp. I think this is the perfect revamp for anybody to get into a Moon Knight comic. Like this is going to be the best way uh, because you're going to have questions afterwards. You're going to have a lot of questions, and the only way that you're going to get those answered is if you go read more, if you go back <laughs> to reading older Moon Knight, uh, Moon Knight comics. All right. I think that brings us to the end here. Thank you for suggesting this one. I was actually eager to get into it. Sorry it took me so long. It's one of these things where uh, I'm a slow reader, and I have one of these things where, A, um, I have 13 episodes scheduled this season, and everybody had their suggestion for what to read all at once, so I had trouble picking. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> I'm also just, I'm busy all the time, so I'm a slow reader, so I apologize. And plus, our schedule is kind of, it's hard for us to get our schedules lined up. And uh, I think mostly it's my fault. So, thank you. I, I, <laughs> I try, and I try. And, and it's just, uh, I actually just recently moved. And now that, like, I think once I actually get, like, a set schedule, then I want, I want to have a set day that I want to record. But I had to, I had to get situated <laughs> Yeah, my thing is it's terrible. We don't get our schedule until three days ahead of time, which is madness. I'm like, it's Thursday. We're just getting Sunday now. Okay, great. You know, I didn't want to make plans or anything. Thank you. And then mine's is like, I get mine a week before, but then it's like this mad dash of everybody saying, hey, I want it Monday off and I need a Thursday off and I'll put time in for this. And you have to fight with everybody else's shift to get the shift that yeah, you, you Yeah, you're always like, I got called in again. I got called in again. Covering a shift. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, sorry. That's personal stuff. You don't you don't care, you selfish. They don't care dicks. about that. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, everybody. Uh, Facebook. Uh, Comics on Infinite Earths. You can check out our podcast. Uh, these are all over the place. iTunes. Uh, podcast Addict is a really good app. Um, go to Retro Rocket Entertainment. Like us. Uh, suggest some stuff for us to read because, you know, I think right now we're almost to, I think, episode 8. I've done half of them with you, I think, so far and kind of done a couple episodes here and there and i think i'm gonna go beyond 13 this season it's been a good summer and just began actually so i think i'm probably gonna go double that you know i mean i'm gonna read mood people and uh there's plenty out there to dive into so throw something at me let me um uh, people are through animal man i've never read animal man someone said you got to check it out uh, the same guy that wrote this moon knight he's taking over animal man and uh apparently it's amazing so uh someone told me i need to read this and i'm gonna i'm gonna check that out and um do you, want, do, you, do you have anything you want to say before we go? Absolutely not. Just read Moon Knight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a good night. Everybody, welcome to Back in Tune Special Edition. Jacob's not here, so I have Tony over here who uh, we do What the Fuck Tunes, our little spinoff show. How's it going, Tony? Not bad. How you doing? I'm doing great. We are getting to discuss Wallace and Gromit. Sadly, it's under uh, kind of a dark note that we were discussing it. I mean, we're going to do it someday anyway, but I figured, hey, 
Peter Salsa just passed away, what what better time to do a tribute to his great work? Mm-hmm. Uh, Wallace and Gromit. Now, how did you first experience this cartoon? I was a kid, and I think I was watching it on uh, like on PBS when they were doing the BBC crossover every now and again. Yeah. Mine was, uh, I have a friend who is a big Anglophile. He loves yeah. BBC stuff. And he was always bringing me like Canadian and British stuff anyway. And he's yeah. like, oh, man, you got to see this. I'm like, what the hell is Wallace and Gromit? It looks like it's for little kids. And this, this is by the time I'm in high school. And he's like, no, it's totally different. There's nothing like it out there. And we watched it. And I was like, that was, that was treated as if it was a real thing. Like, you know, a, a live action movie. The editing of the action sequences the pace, the fact that it's like it looks like it could be a kitty thing, but it seriously has a dark note to it. Like it's almost like a mystery horror film. Sometimes, yeah. The uh, now uh, the series has changed quite a bit. The original claymated, you know, pilot, I guess you'd want to call it the original short. Uh, you can see there's a lot of rough edges. Wallace looks very strange. He's very thin. His head looks like it's smushed together. <laughs> yeah. But you can see the handmade quality in it. And as the series would progress, the budgets would get bigger, and the scenery, like you know, the the back, the stuff behind, can't talk. You know what do you call it? It's it's not backdrops. It's um, damn it, I'm a moron. You know when you see like the city landscapes and stuff like that. What the hell's that called? You're not talking about the background. I guess just the background. I guess the miniatures, the whatever. Well, you know the look of the town. You know the the and and like the action sequences. They were much better paced. Uh, better quality and the look of Wallace and Gromit had been like kind of rethought to be more, I guess, pop friendly. You know, something more appealing to the eye. Yeah, I, I think my first uh, time seeing it, I thought it was a little more recent. So I must have seen what you saw in high school because when I went to rewatch it right now, I swear I watched like one of their earlier clips and it was just really awkward. Yeah, but you can see through the progression of the series, no matter how much money is being thrown at it, it still has that personal touch. The creator Nick Park really just. He does these very sparingly, these specials and things with uh, Wallace and Gromit. And when he does, you can see that he's like complete and absolute quality control. Yeah. Uh, series starts off uh, with a grand day out, which he decides to fly to the moon to get the greatest cheese in the world. <laughs> yeah, that is what I just watched right now. And it was a trip. <laughs> just, it's nuts. Here's the thing is like... So I'm assuming that Wallace is like some work-at-home paid inventor. I don't know if necessarily he works for himself, like he gets grants, or he's like one of those guys that's so eccentric that corporate's like, you know what, just get him out of the office, get him out of his place. Get I don't know what he's doing, <laughs> but it's it's scaring the hell out of us. You know, like that, that totally makes sense as to how he funds all these adventures of his. Well, and here's the other thing I was thinking. He doesn't necessarily seem like he has a ton of money. I feel like he's overspending on his experiments. And therefore, at the end of the month, he's like, oh, shit, I don't have enough to pay the bills. Like, this happens on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, but at least we're given that fact that uh, dude literally built a rocket ship in his basement. You know, so <laughs> you get a feeling that he has some type of expertise. Yeah, but not good with money. Like, he just like, oh, well crap now i'm in the hole again <laughs> and gromit's rolling his eyes if it wasn't for gromit i don't think wallace would function because he's like one of those absent-minded kind of guys uh yeah. he's the dreamer he's the idea man where gromit's like the grunt work he's saving the day he's cleaning the house he's, he's keeping his life together i'm just a little concerned for uh 
you know, the grommet safety every now and again. I mean, just purely because Wallace is really not quite all there. No, no. Uh, it's, my God. Uh, and I think it's funny because in the real world, you find yourself, you know, cleaning up after your dog. Your dog's creating the mess. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's kind of crazy and wild. And, you know, you're the one with the, the order. So I, I thought of the juxtaposition in the animated world is it's quite amusing. Uh, there's a there's a cartoon that Cartoon Over came out with. I can't remember the life of me. Small little pink dog with two old people out in the middle of nowhere. Um, oh god, what was it called? But it, it felt very much as if it took a page out of Wallace and Gromit. What is it again? Because I think I think I might know what that is. Say that again. Yeah, uh, uh, Courage Cowardly Dog. Oh oh yeah. Sorry, I was thinking of something totally different. I thought I was thinking of something live action. Yeah, it's uh. Yeah, it does feel like a little bit like that, uh, minus the brilliant British humor. Yeah, just two crazy people out of the middle of nowhere. <laughs> uh, Artemis Animations, of course, after Wallace and Gromit would go on to do Chicken Run, uh, yeah. which I, a huge hit. Never saw the appeal. Did you ever see Chicken Run? I, I did, and meh. Which you know is in the play on Sean the Sheep. Yeah. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> um, flushed Away, which I enjoyed highly, which is... Ex- was their most expensive film and didn't make hardly any money um, to, compared to what they thought it was going to make. When a movie costs $125 million, you expect to pull in like $600 million worldwide, and they're like, oh, crap, uh, we just broke even, and now we're screwed for our next film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wallace and Gromit and The Curse of the Were-Rabbit is one of the finest things ever made. I can't, <laughs> have, have you ever seen this movie? It's so good. I have not. Uh, this plays regularly during the animation festival at McMinimins. I don't actually don't even know if they still do the film festival. I haven't been in the city for four years, but <laughs> McMinimins used to do a thing during the summer where they would pick six movies and they would play them at all of the McMinimins. And Curse of the Were Rabbit seems to be on that schedule on a regular basis. Here's the problem oh, wow. with watching a movie at McMinimins because they serve food. They leave the lights on while you're watching the movie, so it's insanely mm. distracting. Oh man! So watching Wallace and Gromit, and apparently watching the very first one now that I've been told about it, it's such a trip, you know. Comparing this to, I think it was the one I watched, the one where he like lost his pants. Oh, the wrong trousers. Yeah, wrong trousers. Yeah, that, wrong trousers was the first one I watched, and then I just watched the the Grand Adventure, and it's just so crazy seeing how it developed, you know, and where it's gone. If you look at Grand Trousers, the uh, mystery level, I, that penguin is unnerving. There's something about the way he acts, and they film him like, Ugh. <laughs> like a Hitchcock movie. But like with, with Wrong Trousers, it, it feels like they understand their niche a little bit more and know what they're aiming for. Where in Grand Adventure, it was sort of just like, let's just let's just throw this out there and see where it sticks. Yeah, uh, Grand Days Out. Yeah, I think it's just one of those like very first things. He's just kind of working out an idea. But you're right. By the time Wrong Trousers comes out four years later. They know exactly how they want the pacing of their story, and the eccentricities are really built. I love the fact that it seems like everything they have has some sort of gadget. And you you see the the progression of the series is that Gromit gets or Wallace gets kind of a, a little bit heavier, a little bit more of a spare tire because mm-hmm. he builds so many gadgets that don't let him even like get up from bed properly. Like the floor opens <laughs> up and just shows him out there, and he falls into his pants and everything. And he's like, "All right, I'm good for the day." He can't even walk his own dog. <laughs> I feel I feel so terrible for Gromit sometimes because Wallace is. I mean, that's the problem that with the wrong trousers was. Um, yes, I know that he's busy making all these like 
technical designs, but you need exercise, that dog needs exercise, you need to spend some time together. Why would you build this giant walking pant thing that would eventually ruin your life? You know, like, what really gets me, and, like, you know, this goes on to the voice actor and, you know, rest his soul, but, like, he really just, like, he's the soul of this series. Like, you just, whenever he talks, you're like, man, what a what a very fine, kind, nicely gentleman, you know, like, oh, Gromit. You know, you're just like, oh man. The uh, he has terrible taste in women, though. Every single oh, yeah. time he has a woman in one of these specials, there's something just not right. Though he finds one that he matches up with. I think it's at the end of um, a close shave. I don't know yeah. if you saw that one, but no, um, it's about this weird robot dog. I don't. I gave away the secret, but okay. So a close shave. It's all kind of a mystery again, like a Hitchcock film. And there's a lady that moves in near him, and there's something weird going on with the dog. And the fact that there's like these sheep in the basement, apparently it's a whole thing where it's a robot dog that rips its skin off. It's horrifying for a second. It turns into like a horror movie. And they're they're (laughs) using these sheep. This is where we get the introduction of Sean the Sheep, by the way. Um, And I guess I can't remember. This is the first one I saw, and obviously it's barfed out of my brain. But it's like some sort of conspiracy to use the sheep for something else. But um, yeah, it's it's a strange one. But the girl... And Wallace actually get along until she says she can't stand cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand it. It makes me gassy. I never cared for it. And he's like, we can never be. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> Idiot. Wallace. <laughs> yeah. And, they, and there's been a couple after that. He did, he did these Discovery Channel kind of things. They don't have Discovery Channel over there, but we do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like the same thing where Wallace and Gromit have like these intro segments. And then it goes into live action like science and <laughs> math and <laughs> oh my god I don't know what to, I know they were trying to get kids interested but it was so boring. Um, yeah, I'm trying to look. What else did uh, uh, DreamWorks and Ardman had this deal? And I'm trying to remember they they did a Shaun the Sheep movie that which was it's, all these movies that Ardman does are huge overseas in America. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, Wensleydale. Wensleydale is a nasty cheese, by the way. Are you a cheese connoisseur? No. I don't do so much with cheese. Yeah, I uh, I've become. I used to hate cheese. I used to pull the cheese off my pizza. So essentially, I was eating saucy bread. <laughs> but now I find myself going to the grocery, going, "Is it aged? Ooh, is it smoky? Where's it from? Oh, it looks like a good slice." You know, <laughs> and I, I just like in my head, I'm going, "Let's get some cheese, Gromit." I'm like molesting the cheeses. It's terrible. It's like, oh, this is a good firm cheese. It's been aged. It's pretty sure it's crunchy. Oh, boy. Um, I can't. I, there's something else. I was, I'm trying to find the other special that took place after this. Um, do you like stop motion animation? Because I know a lot of people are, are bothered by it. Oh, honestly, when it's done well, like, it's, it's always interesting to see how they work with the foreground and background and how they work with the stop animation. I mean, whether it's claymation or whatever tool they hit and want to use with. And so like, I'm always curious about just like mouth movements, legs, arms. I mean, it's a huge difference between the first film and the one that we saw four years later, just how naturally people move and like how they start like, I don't know, like small things like going up and down steps and uh, up and down ladders. Like it's just, you know, more organic than it used to be. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. It's hard to tell what exactly, and, and I've never done stop motion animation. I don't know what the details are. The, uh, like certain things in it look real, like they're superimposed 
or and then some stuff looks like it's made out of like you know wood and then some almost looks like it's uh cgi especially in the later ones but i know it's not it's just like it looks like every single last scrap in there was handmade and painstakingly put into place to make sure that the um the scale is correct you know because in wallace and you know those things are probably what maybe a foot high when they're sculpting it and they yeah. gotta make sure every little itty bitty tiny like the yarn it's gotta be so tiny but the details gotta be so high i don't know the patience yeah I mean, it's it's just crazy. Like, uh, was the uh, uh, Kubo of Six Strings came out, and that was a stop motion animation. And you know, it's just insane the amount of time and detail that these guys do to get these things to look white and you know just move and have motion. Yeah, I know that CGI is art. There's no there's no question about that. Oh yeah. But there's something totally different about zero zero one one zero zero one one and like you know clicking on a mouse. And then someone going out there and, and creating something that is not exactly, with exception of Ardman and Leica, no one else is really doing stop motion. It's, it's a dead format in a way. Yeah. I and mean, yet, up, so much up time. Up until, what was it, uh, uh, Corpse Bride and Right Before Christmas, you know, like people just really didn't pay any mind in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, one of the major uh Producers of stop motion animations actually out of Portland, Will Vinton Studios, which was eventually bought by Nike, then turned into Leica. But you know, he did those California Raisins, and uh, I don't know if you remember a show called Gary and Mike or the PJs. Sounds familiar. You remember PJs the PJs? I remember watching. Yeah, Eddie Murphy. He, you know, he was making those up here in Portland, and uh, you know, those did well for television. But getting people off their butts out to the theater to pay for stop motion animation, you got to respect Leica for sticking it out for. What are the four or five films now? Mm-hmm. They could easily take the easy, you know, take the route of uh, CGI, but nope, they they're sticking to this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a different art form. I mean, you know, no no less for CGI guys because I mean they do some pretty incredible stuff, especially with today's technology. In comparison to like 1990 CGI, where oh. like, this is kind of a joke. <laughs> yeah, I look back on Beast Wars and go, no, no, I don't. Why do was the reboot? Oh, I mean. Thank God oh, the, the stories are good, though. The stories are yeah. good. It holds up. The reboot was depressing at points because, like, flat out, people were being killed in those games. Yeah. Whereas stop motion, it's always, always been the same exact technology. You know, it was for the last 40 years, it's been the same exact thing with maybe mild, like, computer touch-ups. So yeah. it, I think it ages better. You look at, look at Toy Story, then look at Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas looks like it could have been made yesterday. Toy Story yeah. clearly looks like 1995. <laughs> We're off on a tangent here. But uh, A Matter of Loaf and Death is the one that I've only seen once. That's the most recent one. That's from 2008. Uh, my favorite is A Close Shave. You have to see that one. That one is bananas. It's got one of the best action sequences ever filmed. And yeah. I, I'm stunned that no one's grabbed Nick Park and put him in live action like they did with... Um, uh, shit, he did Iron Giant. Um, Brad Bird. Oh, yeah. Because I can see him. Kicking some ass in live action. Mm-hmm. I'll have to give uh, Close Shave a shot then because like, it's, it's been a while since I've been following up. What's that? I'll have to give Close Shave a shot. I mean, it's just okay. been a while. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, everybody, this is kind of a mini-sode. Um, Jacob was not available for this one. Th- Tony, thank you very much for sitting on this episode. Is there anything else you want to say about Wallace and Ground before we go? Honestly, I mean, just if you haven't given it a shot yet, definitely uh, try it out. Maybe skip the first couple of years because it's a little hard to get into. 
but the wrong trousers, close shave, or you go racing stuff, I think it's really going to fit very well for you. Yeah, and it's it's got a very particular sense of humor, and if you get like that BBC style, you know, uh, cheeky humor, but with a lot of brains. You know, it's not Benny Hill. It, it has a lot of subtext, especially <laughs> just Gromit alone sells that everything that this whole series is about. He is Absolutely. the heart and soul, and, and it is hard as much as Wallace is such an absent-minded doof. He, you can't hate him. He's so lovable. Peter Salas infused him with so much humanity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, he's just. The perfect voice for it, and I'm glad he stuck with it for as long as they made episodes. 94 years old, man. That is a long, beautiful life. Yeah. <laughs> okay, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Rock to Rock Entertainment. Check out him under Above the Airwaves. They do great stuff every week. What do you do? What did you do this week? It was um, Jumpin' Jack Flash and Eddie. Yeah, we did uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash and the Associate, I believe. Oh, the Associate. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. Like, I think the biggest thing about those two films was that they're still relevant in today and the sexism, at least. But uh, we're really looking forward to uh, working with you guys on your new sci-fi uh, television series and what have you. So yeah. that's going to be coming up pretty soon. We we have another show coming up. We're we're going to be teaming up. Uh, it's going to be called uh, Next Planet Over. Uh, my team is kind of going to do the older stuff, and you guys were talking about stuff maybe over the last fifteen years that was short. We're trying to focus on short-lived shows, but if there's a long, you know, longer show that we want to discuss that we really know, we want to dig into. I'm totally doing that because there's no way I'm not discussing Buffy. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, piece. yeah, you know, I mean, I I tried getting you guys to do some anime for the summer because I was going to take it off to focus on Next Planet Over, but I never heard <laughs> you were game. But I, I wasn't so much hearing anything else, so. Yeah. Maybe so, another time. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, everybody. That is it for us here. Have a good night. Take it Fjord.